What do we do when we're in a situation, and it seems like whether it's a personal situation or national situation, and, and we are up against seemingly insurmountable odds because the farther we go down this road, the more it is us, not with the world, but against the world. What do we do? Turn to Second Chronicles chapter 20. <clears throat> Second Chronicles chapter 20. There's the old adage, there are no atheists in foxholes, and I think that that video that we just saw accentuates that. Um, but I wonder if that's still true in our nation. Because we have so far removed God, we have removed God so far from our national consciousness. We've removed the influence of God from our students and schools and from any kind of public discourse. I wonder if the men in the foxholes would know who to turn to. Praise God for a godly captain. Amen? Praise God for the men who serve in our armed forces who are godly men and are giving people the gospel. Jet Blackford has had the opportunity to give the gospel. He's been given the responsibility of a man that is... It's a very difficult situation. He's been able to give him the gospel. You know, that's the only hope for people. That's it. Now, let's look at Second Chronicles chapter 20. It came to pass after this also that the children of Moab and the children of Ammon and with them other beside the Ammonites came against Jehoshaphat to battle. Jehoshaphat's the king of Judah, the southern kingdom, and he is God's king <clears throat> over, Israel, over Judah. Then there came some that told Jehoshaphat, saying, There cometh a great multitude against thee from beyond the sea on this side of Syria. I was reading a commentary this morning to show you the state of Christianity. The commentary said, This is an exaltation of a minor conflict. When you look at the response of the people, this is not a minor conflict. Uh, one of the other commentators said, This is the exaltation of a holy war in prose. So this isn't something that really happened. This is just a fantastic or a sensational recording of what happened. Folks, this is the nation of Judah. Benjamin and Judah, just two tribes, right here, against the world. They're completely surrounded. They have no hope in battle. That's what the Bible says, regardless of what some knucklehead in a thick book talks about. Amen? So now, it says, verse 2, Then there came some that told Jehoshaphat, saying, There cometh a great multitude against thee from beyond the sea on this side, on this side Syria. And behold, they be in Hazazon Tamar, Tamar, which is En Gedi. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord. And proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah gathered themselves together to ask help of the Lord. Even out of all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Dear Heavenly Father, help us. Lord, we are a needy people. We live in a needy time. And like Jehoshaphat, we know where to turn. So, Father, speak to us through your word today. In Jesus' name. Amen. What do you do when you're faced with an insurmountable problem? 
When you're in the middle of something and you say, I'm afraid and I don't have any idea what to do. How do we face that? Well, this morning's message is what to do when you don't know what to do. And it's given to us in this text. So let's look at it. The first thing that we need to do, whether it's as a nation, and let me just stop right here. As a nation, we're in trouble. How many of you saw what happened in Greece just recently? Where you have the economy in Greece is falling apart because they have too many social programs. They can't pay for everything. There are not enough people to tax. There's not enough revenue to pay for the problems. So the government says we're going to have to cut back. And so the people riot and burn the country down. And listen to how bad it is. It's so bad that it might bring about the collapse of the European Union. Tiny little Greece. Why? Because the next to fall are Portugal and Spain. Their economies are about to collapse. How does a country file bankruptcy? Their economy is about to collapse. If that happens, the other nations have to pay for it. So what are they doing? The European Union decided to bail out Greece. But did you know that you and I are paying $64 billion of that for Greece? Did you hear what I said? $64 billion. If we had a mathematician who could figure out how much that means each of us would have to pay, if we were to have to send a check to Greece, we'd have a different idea about it. That's where we are. The euro is only about 15 years old, and it's already collapsing. What's going to happen when the world economy collapses? Well, there's going to be a leader that stands up and says, I have the answer. We shouldn't be surprised. Amen? Amen. We should not be surprised. But when we're in the middle of it, what are we going to do? We have leaders that are running from the problem, not facing the problem. They have the idea that you can borrow your way out of debt. It can't be done. We are surrounded as a people. But what about personally? Sometimes you're up against cancer. Sometimes you're up against children and you don't know what to do with them. Sometimes you've got marriage problems and you've got all these other issues. You've got a business and you're trying to oversee the business while all this stuff is going on. You, you teach in a school where the school wants you to do something and you know that you've got to do something else. What do you do when you're up against something like that? Well, the first thing that you do is you acknowledge who God is. Look at verse 6. If you look at verse 5, And Jehoshaphat stood in the congregation of, Jerusalem, in the congregation of Judah, and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. Don't you wish, wouldn't it be awesome if our president would stand up and say, America, I know, we've got a problem. <laughs> but what we need to do is we need to turn to Almighty God. Would you all just pass out, just fall down on the floor and just start flopping around like you had epilepsy or something? It would be it would be so awesome to have a leader who would do that. But in our country, it's whose God are you talking to? Make sure you don't mention Jesus. Make sure that you don't do any of that. Now look what the Bible says. Verse 6. Here's what he said. And he said, O Lord God of our fathers, art not thou God in heaven? 
And rulest not thou over all the kingdoms of the heathen? And in thine hand is there not power and might, so that there is none, so that none is able to withstand thee? You know the first thing that you need to do when you get into trouble, when you're surrounded by enemies, you don't know which way to turn, the first thing that you need to do is acknowledge who God is. We have a great God. Do you know that God is not the least bit nervous right now? Can you picture God in heaven? Looking down, saying, oh, no, what's going to happen with the economy? Oh, no, what's going to happen with the... Oh, oh no, there is Islamists coming after me. You think God's afraid? Man, we... Uh, you know what the best thing to do is? Get on... Find out what God's side is and get on it. And the first thing that we need to do if we're going to face any of our issues is acknowledge who God is. The first thing that it says in verse 6 is He is the God of our fathers. The God of our fathers. Now, I made some of you very nervous when I walked in here this morning. With these, we're not going to read all of it. But the simple fact of the matter is, in the text... Who is he talking about? He's talking about Abraham. God promised Abraham a land and said, I will make of thee a great nation. And he set the boundaries for the people of God. And then he told the same thing to Isaac. And then he told the same thing to Jacob. And then he told the same thing to Joseph. And you come all the way through and now you have Judah. And Jehoshaphat is the ruler. And he remembered the God of his fathers. And the way that God had supernaturally intervened for them. Do you know what we need to do? We need to remember the God of our fathers. I'm so glad that Grace Baptist Church has been here for 56 years preaching the God. 50, 59 years preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what else we have seen? God has been faithful in Sydney, Ohio all of that time. Amen? The God of our fathers. But, you know, in our nation, this is Memorial Day. God has been the God of our soldiers going all the way back to the beginning. There was a man, his name was David Jones. David Jones was born in Pennsylvania in 1736. He was a chaplain in the Continental Army. But before that, he was a pastor. He went to the church at Hopewell, New Jersey. Hopewell, New Jersey is a church where John Hart was a member. You could go there today, Hopewell, New Jersey, go to the graveyard right next to the church, and there's John Hart. John Hart was one of the signers of the Declaration of Independence. Isaac Eaton was a member of that church. Isaac Eaton started a Bible institute that became Brown University in Rhode Island. But as he taught these young preachers, one of the young preachers that he taught was David Jones. Jones moved to another place and finished his schooling through his uncle, a man named Abel Morgan, and he became a preacher. He was a preacher in Freehold. He pastored a Baptist church in Freehold, New Jersey. 1775, the community got tired of him because he was preaching about the rights of the American people. When the war started, he joined up and became a chaplain. Now, remember, the Baptists made up about 13% of the population of the colonies. 40% of the chaplains in the Revolutionary War were Baptists. General Washington liked the Baptist chaplains best because they could shoot straight. 
That's awesome. Amen? So here's David Jones. He comes in, and do you know what his name became? He is known as Fighting Davy Jones. If you read any history of the Revolution, you hear about Fighting Davy Jones. This is him. He was at the Battle of Ticonderoga. Do you know what he did for the soldiers at Ticonderoga right before the battle? He preached a sermon to all the troops, challenged them to go and to fight. He was at the Paoli Massacre in 1777 where Colonel Gray and the British, they overran the troops that were there with General Wayne, Anthony Wayne, and they didn't give any quarter. It was called the Paoli Massacre because when a soldier surrendered, they hacked him to pieces with bayonets and swords. That's what our men were up against. David Jones was there. And he was a great man of God. We published in our journal a little while back a sermon that he preached at the beginning of the Revolutionary War, a defensive war in a just cause, sinless. Do you know what he did? He was at the Battle of Valley Forge with General Washington as a chaplain. And he, when, when the forces heard that France had recognized our independence, he was so excited about it, he gathered together all of these suffering troops of Valley Forge and preached a message that historians at that time said got the men through the winter. A great, great man of God. But do you know what he did before that? In 1772 and 1773, he had such a burden for the Indians that he came to the Indian Territory. He came to Ohio and preached the gospel, made his base, made his base in Ohio and traveled around the area preaching the gospel. Two years preaching the gospel to the Indians all over. We still have, a, I have here, this is the life and journal and works of David Jones, 1736 to 1820. Do you know what he did? He wrote a journal of his time in in Ohio that is still valued today by historians as one of the only accounts of what it was like in Indian life in Ohio. Preacher, the faith of our fathers, our men, these men who loved souls and loved liberty, loved the Word of God, but were willing to fight and die. There's none of this Reverend Alden stuff like Little House on the Prairie hiding behind the pulpit. That wasn't these guys. They were willing to go into battle. At the Battle of Ticonderoga, Matt Anthony Wayne, General Wayne was there, and he hadn't heard any information from the front. So this is a letter. This is a letter that Jeff Faggart found at the Pennsylvania Historical Society. The original copy of it is there. Listen to what it says. Ticonderoga, 29 July, 1776. This is from Anthony Wayne to Benjamin Franklin. Dear sir, we are so far removed from the seat of government of the free and independent states of America and such an insurmountable barrier between us that not one letter or the least intelligence of anything that's doing with you can reach us. Through the, median, through the medium of my chaplain, I hope this will reach you as he has promised to blow out any man's brains who will attempt to take it from him. That was David Jones. What an amazing man he was. Well, after the war, he went back and started farming, pastoring his church. He became pastor of the Church of the Great Valley in 
Pennsylvania, and that church became such an important church. He had a love for the Indians, and it's so interesting. This is just a little parenthesis. There's a man named Evan Jones that was sent by that church to be a missionary to the Cherokee and was such a tremendous missionary in the early 1800s that when they took the Indians on the trail, the Cherokee on the Trail of Tears, the Cherokee voted him to be their leader on the Trail of Tears, and he preached and baptized and took that church and established it in Oklahoma. And he had a great pastor, one of my favorite names, an Indian pastor that was there to help him, Jesse Bushyhead. (laughs) He had hair like this. I love it. But he came out of the Church of the Great Valley, David Jones's church. He was such a great pastor, but then Anthony Wayne, he was his neighbor, and came to him. And said, you know, we have the problem with the Indian Wars going on. It was 17, in the 1790s. And remember what had happened. You had William Henry Harrison. He is in Indiana. They're having trouble with the Indians. And you have the Battle of, Ticondo, or the Battle of Tippecanoe. And when that battle took place, what happened was that was the launch. That was the launch of this battle with the Indians. Before that, it was a difficult place to be. Well, Wayne came out to fight the Indians. And he asked David Jones to come and be his helper. David Jones came and preached and interpreted. He he met a lady named Mary Heath in Greenville, Ohio, who had been a captive of the Indians. Part of the Treaty of Greenville. Have you heard of the Treaty of Greenville? Been over there to see it? 1795, July 1795. David Jones was there. David Jones is listed. I have a copy in this book of the Treaty of Greenville. David Jones is listed on that treaty as one of the interpreters. But he did much more than interpret. As he was there, one of the Indians' mother died, and he preached the funeral. He preached to all these Indians. He preached to the troops. He interpreted. As a part of the agreement, these Indians were releasing hostages that they had had, and there was a woman named Mary Heath who had been a captive for five years. They had killed her husband and five children. They kept her and one other. And in the history of that, that he wrote, they wouldn't give her food. The way that she lived is by stealing a few chicken livers. They would give their captives. Here's what they would allow their captives to eat. Pigeon guts. Chicken guts. But the bear guts were too good. There was too much of a delicacy. If they were going to live, it was by scrounging nuts or roots. She did that for five years. They didn't give her enough clothes to hardly cover her. Terrible shame. Terrible embarrassment. And David Jones was there to counsel. Here's what it said in the history. He was there to counsel these people as they came out of captivity. The faith of our fathers. Let me tell you what kind of a man David Jones was. David Jones was such a patriot for this country that the Battle of 1812, by then he was 76 years old, and he volunteered to go and be a chaplain. And he was appointed by Secretary of the Army to be the chaplain for the War of 1812, David Jones. When that was done, he went back to his farm, and he finished up. He died at the age of 84 years old. But he was a man that everywhere he went, he preached the gospel, established churches, but was willing to fight for our liberty, even right where we live right now. He is one of our fathers We need to remember that's the kind of faith they had, willing to speak the truth, to preach the gospel, but if need be, to stand up and fight for liberty. That's the kind of Christian that we are supposed to be. When you face a problem, acknowledge who God is. He is the God of our fathers, but not only is He the God of our fathers, 
The Bible says next that he's the God of heaven. As the God of heaven, he's not surprised by what's going on. He has a perspective. He knows where the battle is. He knows where the enemy is. And he can protect us. And he's there. Whatever your battle is. But not only that, he is the God of the heathen. That's what it says. He's the God. Look at what it says. Verse, middle of verse 6. And rulest not thou over all the kingdoms of the heathen? Do you know what? Have we ever lived in a time as Americans, when we're more surrounded by heathen than today? Well, you know what? God knows the heathen. He knows their hearts. And He knows what we're supposed to do. You know what you need to do when you're in trouble? Acknowledge who God is. That's number one. Number two, acknowledge who you are. Look at verse 12. O our God, wilt thou not judge them? For we have no might against this great company that cometh against us. Neither know we what to do, but our eyes are upon thee. Look, when you're up against something, the first thing that you need to do is you need to acknowledge who God is, then you need to acknowledge who you are. But here's what we want to do. Yeah, I got this. I got it. No problem. Your wife comes to you talking about some catastrophe that's in the family. Eh, don't worry, I got it. I can handle this. No, you can't. Amen? You see, when you're up against something that is completely beyond your ability, you need to understand, first of all, that you're unworthy. Yes, we acknowledge who God is, but we do not deserve for God to do anything for us. He's not our boy. Okay, God, come here. Here, will you take care of this for me? Huh. Acknowledge who God is and acknowledge who you are. Lord, I'm unworthy. Do you know what? This mess that I'm in, I caused it. How many of you, most of the messes that you've ever, not all of them, but most of the messes you've ever found yourself in, we're your fault, right? That doesn't mean that God doesn't want to help you through it. He's still God. He's still able and willing to help us, but you've got to acknowledge who he is, then you've got to acknowledge who you are. You're unworthy. Not only are we unworthy, but we're completely helpless. We have no might against this, this company. Completely helpless. So acknowledge who God is, acknowledge who you are, and then just keep your eyes on him. You see that in the end of verse 12? But our eyes are upon thee. Isn't it hard sometimes when you're in the middle of pain, in the middle of battle, to keep your eyes on the Lord? It's interesting. I say this often when I'm counseling. When you, you come up against a problem, if I'm going to sit down with you and talk to you, here's where we're going to start. Number one, you've got to believe that God has the answer in His Word. Amen? Number two, you've got to be willing to do whatever God tells you in His Word to correct the problem. Number three, you can't allow your problem to be the biggest thing in your life. Because then that becomes idolatry. Anything that gets between you and the Lord is sin. Amen? Acknowledge who God is. Acknowledge who you are. And then keep your eyes on Him. Our eyes are upon thee. Don't look at your troubles. Don't look at your neighbors. I love that passage. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. You didn't get saved on your own. You're not going to finish your salvation on your own. He is going to finish it, so why don't you just go with Him? Keep your eyes on the Lord. So, 
Acknowledge who he is. Acknowledge who you are. Keep your eyes on him. And then go to the house of God. Go to the house of God. Look at verse Look at verse 6, or verse 5. And Jehoshaphat stood in the congregation of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord. Look at verse 8. And they dwelt therein and have built thee a sanctuary therein for my name. Go to the house of God. Why would you go to the house of God? Well, the people of God are there. I've got to tell you, man, when you're in trouble, the people that you need to go to are in this room. These are the people that love you and that care for you and that know God and know where to get the answers. Come to the house of God. This is, this is where the Bible says bearing one another's burdens. You say, wait a minute, that's the temple. Remember what the Bible says. These things write unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. This is the Apostle Paul. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Come to the house of God. That's what you're supposed to do. The people of God are there. The presence of God is there. Look at verse 9. If when evil cometh upon us as the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we stand before this house and in thy presence. For thy name is in this house. Where two or three are gathered together, there am I in the midst of them. Jesus Christ. Yeah, Jesus is here today. Remember the church at Laodicea, Revelation 3.20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Jesus is outside the church there. Here we believe in him. We worship him. We honor him. He's here in our presence. Where else do you go when you're having trouble? Go to the king. The presence of God is there. The people of God are there. And then look at verse 9 again. Look at the second half. For thy name is in this house, and cry unto thee in our affliction then thou wilt hear and help. The power of God is there. The power of God is there. I want you to know that here in this place, God's power is evident. God's power is revealed through the preaching and teaching of God's word and the changed lives of his people. God is here. Your help is here. Then, don't miss this. Everybody listen to this. This is the next point. Do not miss this. When you're in trouble, be sure your family sees where you go when you're in trouble. Look at verse 13. And all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. I got to tell you, we need to train our children to deal with adversity in the proper way. You know when your child comes home and they're having a problem? You know what we need to ask them? Have you prayed about it? Have you prayed about it? But if every time we have a problem... And we, fa- we respond by blowing up or falling apart. Trouble comes and we just collapse into our shell. We can't leave the house. We can't go anywhere. We can't. Uh, why weren't you at church Sunday? Oh, I was just so nervous and so upset. You don't know what happened to me this week. So the answer is to stay away from the medicine. To stay away from the doctor. To stay away from the power. You see, you've got two, you've got two people. You've got actually three. You've got people that are going to take care of it themselves. You've got people that will collapse and not take care of anything. Then you've got other people that are just oblivious, the dial tones, you know. They don't have any idea what's going on. Uh, Tragedy around. Oh, really? I didn't know. Look, we need 
to make sure that our kids know that we believe in the one true God and we know where to meet Him. We meet at home, meet him at home in the prayer closet and in the Word and then we meet Him corporately here every time the doors are open. Be sure your kids know where you go when you're in trouble. Then, look at verse 14. Then upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaniah, the son of Jael, the son of Mattaniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, came the Spirit of the Lord in the midst of the congregation. He said, Hearken, all Judah, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem, and thou king Jehoshaphat. Thus saith the Lord unto you. Do you know what we need to do? We need to acknowledge who God is. We need to acknowledge who we are. We need to make sure that we go to the house of God. But we need to listen to the man of God. When the man of God stands up and says, Thus saith the Lord. If he is speaking, just like we talked about in Sunday school, if he is speaking according to this word, do you know what we need to say? Amen. And we need to do it. Now let me say this. Man... If every time after church, you're going home and you're saying, man, that preacher's an idiot. Did you hear that stupid joke he told? Can you believe he said that in church? Then your kid's in trouble and you're going to say, uh, Pastor, can you talk to my teenager? You know your teenager's going to say? Why would I listen to that idiot? And notice, notice what he says here. He says, verse 15, and he said, Hearken ye all Judah and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem and thou King Jehoshaphat. You know what? President Obama is not our king, but he needs to listen to some men of God and submit to that. And we need men of God who are willing to stand up in this place and say his policies are wicked and will destroy the country. Just as I stood up and said George Bush's policies are wicked and will destroy this country. Somebody has to tell the truth. It's got to be the men of God. And you know what you need to do in your homes and in your places and in your relationship with your husband and wife? You need to exalt the preaching of the Word of God. Talk about it in the home. Talk about the messages. Take notes. Use it in your home. It will help you. Look at verse 20. And they rose early in the morning and went forth into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went forth, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and so shall ye be established. Believe his prophets, so shall ye prosper. I'm not a prophet or the son of a prophet, but I'm a preacher of the word of God. And my job is to tell you, thus saith the Lord. And I can promise you that when you're up against a problem, if you acknowledge who God is and you acknowledge who you are and you come to the house of God and you follow the steps that are outlined in this text, God will help you. Amen? Amen. Listen to God's man. Thus saith the Lord. Then he may have seen your situation before. You know there's a reason why preachers like me hate sin? When I stand up and I talk about things without giving examples, one of the reasons I get so mad about sin is I see what it does in the lives of people that I love and that I have to counsel. I hate drugs. I hate pornography. I hate it. I hate it. 
I hate men leaving their families. I hate ladies not being what they should be in the home. I hate it because of what it does to you. So when I stand up and I warn about cultural things that violate God's word and that devastate families, I may have seen where you're going ahead of time. Then the preacher will bring scriptural solutions to the problem. Believe God. Believe his word. Believe his prophets. That's what the man of God will tell you. Then, here's the hard part. You ready for the hard part? You think this other part wasn't hard? Here's the hard part about when you're in an impossible situation. Just leave it in God's hands. Look at verse 17. Ye shall not need to fight in this battle. Set yourselves. Stand ye still. And see the salvation of the Lord with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Fear not, nor be dismayed. Tomorrow... Go out against them, for the Lord will be with you. Notice what he's saying. You don't have to fight. Just go out there. I'll fight through you. I'll fight for you. You know what he says? Don't stop doing what you're supposed to be doing. Keep doing the things that I've commanded you to do, but do them in peace. Be still. And then when you go out tomorrow, I'm going to be with you. How awesome is that? Kevin Terry, he's off the field now. But you remember, how many of you remember when Kevin Terry came and preached here for us? Kevin Terry is a karate expert. He trained with Chuck Norris. He was one of Chuck Norris's stunt doubles in the movies. And he was the head of the, uh, of the Guardian Angels in Los Angeles. But one time this lady was being attacked by three guys with knives in an alley. He was unarmed. He walked into that alley and took the knives away from the three guys. He's, he's scary at the stuff he can do. He's up here. He broke a board over my head up here. He threw knives at Shauna, right? You guys weren't even married yet, were you? <laughs> and she still married him. Well, he had Wade come up to do a demonstration. Is Wade in here? Is he down? What was that like? can i tell you something if i was going to walk into an alley and i had kevin terry with me you know what i'd be saying you ain't so bad (laughs) if i'm by myself i'm scared to death because i'm pretty good at running and i don't even do that well anymore you know what i mean i would be in big trouble with him i'm cool man what god was saying with these people Go into battle because I'm with you. Leave it in God's hands. Anybody here have a struggle right now? You got something going on in your life. Leave it. Do what you're supposed to. Keep doing what God has told you to do, but leave the problem in God's hands. Um, Then. Sing praise to God for what he's going to to do praise him before the battle look at verse 22 and when they began to sing and to praise the lord set ambushments against the children of ammon moab and mount seir which were come against judah and they were smitten they praised the lord before the battle alexander mclaren said we are most likely to conquer if we lift up our voice of thanks for victory in advance 
and go into the battle expecting to triumph because we trust in God. Do you know what you need to say about your battle? You're in your battle. Do you know what I can say about this country and where we're going? I believe God. He told us this was going to happen. It's still our job to speak the truth and to be the people that God wants us to be. But why should we be surprised that evil men and seducers are waxing worse and worse? Amen? Do you know what that helps me do? I believe God. I believe God. Then take possession of the promised land. If you look at verse 25, And when Jehoshaphat and his people came to take away the spoil of them, they found among them in abundance both riches with the dead bodies and precious jewels which they stripped off for themselves, more than they could carry away, and they were three days in gathering of spoil. It was so much. They took possession of the land. They took possession of the promised blessing. Do you know what will happen if we will do this? If we will face our enemies, believing God, acknowledging who we are, coming to the house of God, singing His praises, winning the victory. Do you know what will will happen if we do that? Look at what the Bible says. Verse 28. And they came to Jerusalem with psalteries and harps and trumpets unto the house of the Lord. And the fear of God was on all the kingdoms of those countries when they heard that the Lord fought against the enemies of Israel. You know what will happen when we do right? The fear of God will be on our enemies. Just believe God. Do you know what the result of that will be? Look at the next verse. So the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for his God gave him rest round about. Anybody here you could use a little peace right now? You've just learned what to do when you don't know what to do. Let's yield to the Lord. Dear Heavenly Father, I love you. I love your word. It gives us...